All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. Our guest tonight is Sadhu Da. Um, I I did some research on you. I I spent an hour looking at your website, and it was literally I might as well have been reading Greek. It was like a whole lot of stuff that that I I mean I I got the generalized concept, you know, um, you know, but it was pulling from things that I have very little connection to so you know our topic tonight is the subject of wraiths really but i can't help but to and start hacks. what and hacks and ha very important and i can't help but to start with what exactly are you it's a really good question <laughs> uh <laughs> the simplest answer is i am a spiritual teacher and a spiritual counselor in situations of crisis. And to lightly elaborate on that, I had masters from various different traditions that I studied under, and I learned the principles and foundations of what makes them good at what they do, and then found a way to integrate all those teachings together to make more suitable for my personality and approach. Now, is this like you distilled them down to the good teachings and removed the spirituality or that you turned them into sort of a collective spirituality? I'd say a collective spirituality because I don't belong to any specific religion, though some people would say that I trained under and followed and was ordained in specific religions, but uh, I consider it all to be an exploration in spiritual science. So when, for, for lack of a better term, I don't mean any, any uh, insult by this, but when one religion hops, so basically you're hopping from religion to religion to study them, you know, are, are these people apprehensive? Are they saying like, okay, well, this guy's not coming in for the right reasons? Uh, not at all. Um, for example, when I studied under Master Thanifal Pakti and Master Pongsak, who were Theravada bhikkhus, um, Thai Buddhist monks, for those unfamiliar with those terms, it was an understanding that I wanted to learn the concepts of Buddhist magic and ritual work. And I wanted to be able to apply that to help people. They understood that I had other backgrounds and a foundation I was building on, and they were giving me tools to add to my tool belt. I see. Yeah, so, so they weren't know, like trying to convert you, or because I never. feel like a lot, a lot of times with our, you know, just sort of Western like understanding of religion, we're like, if you have contact with a religious person they're going to want to convert you but it sounds like that's not you know necessarily the case wherever you went no um buddhism typically is more aligned as a spiritual science um if you talk to any truly devout or i should better say educated buddhist or practitioner they will not refer to Buddhism as a religion. That's more of a Western boxed in term to understand Buddhism. Yeah. So from my limited knowledge, I, I consider a lot of Eastern religions to, because I've tried to understand this. So for one here in the West, I, I'm constantly hearing people uh, who are very Christian specifically say to me, Oh yeah, I'm Christian, but but I don't I don't believe in religion, and I have a hard time like separating those two. I'm just okay. So this is your belief system, and the religion is the organized aspect. And then when I think of what I would call religions from the East, um, they seem to define them more as, with the loose term, a path. Right. So it's a it's a practice. So for example, some people could consider some of the Vedic teachings behind yoga to be a religious path working. However, it's more of a path working and understanding that they're calling it a spiritual science. Mm -hmm. So if we are to do this and this with the body and the mind, we might be able to expect this and this as the result. Whereas in a traditional sense with Western appropriated religion like Christianity and its varying denominations, 
we would say, if you read the Bible, everything you need to know is in the Bible. Don't question the Bible. Do this um, so that you can have this, which is promised by this. Whereas in yoga, you know, they may tell you if you were to do, um, you know, for example, Simhakriya, which is a pranayam, a breath work technique, there are certain aspects that have been analyzed on a scientific level in medical studies that have shown it's going to oxygenate your uh, liver. It's going to do this for your kidneys. It's going to help your body on a physical level in this way, which we can measure. And depending on your practice and depending on how often you apply it or how deeply you're involved with it, you may have greater or lesser results. Very distinct differences. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, my, my friend Keith, uh, when I who cares where I live? My friend Keith at the time, he, um, he had told me, he's all, well, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming Jewish. And I'm all, Keith, you can't do that. And, <laughs> and he's all, well, why not? Keith was black and he's just always, because I'm animal. No, that's, that's not the problem. The problem is you don't believe in the Jewish God. You have to believe in order to be in these Western religions. And so it kind of sounds like what you're telling me. It's like, you don't have to believe, you just have to practice and try. And the aspiration is to get to the belief through the practice. So exactly. It's and it's a little opposite of. It's a little more of by testing this and following this and practicing this, does this work for you? Do you get benefit from it? Mm -hmm. If not, then maybe try something different like Taoist uh, philosophy and teachings of the importance in Qigong. And that's more of what I would consider a combination of martial arts meeting yoga. You're doing these slowed movements. You're exercising and energizing the body and the mind and the spirit. You're likely going to get a pretty good result from that, but maybe it's not the result you want. Maybe you get more out of doing yoga. It's just finding what's best for you, really. I see. All right. So our topic tonight, thank you for the, the explanation. Uh, no you problem. know, sorry to my audience to not have a better uh, background description of who you were, but I, I read the stuff and I'm just all, okay, this is a whole lot of, whole lot of belief systems that I am just not familiar with. Um, okay. So we're talking about wraiths uh, to start out here. Um, you know, what is a wraith? Let's start with that. So we understand that for the most part, if you are in this line of belief, that when a person dies, they become a ghost, right? And they might cross over shortly after. These are more basic understandings uh, when we start to explore the metaphysical and the paranormal. However, there are different classifications of spirits. We understand in a Christian context, demonic entities. I defined a demon as a malicious entity of non-human origin that is quasi-physical in nature and not belonging to this physical plane. So if I ever use the term demon, that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about a Christian context of the word demon. When we talk about a wraith, a wraith is the corrupted essence of a human spirit. And what's really interesting is a wraith can kind of take shape in two different ways. And we won't get too complicated with this, but you have the ego shell. So when an entity becomes a ghost, so when a person becomes a ghost, they become an entity. If they cross over, they have what's called a second death. So then they shed the ghost body, the ghost shell. Sometimes parasitic entities, which we'll get into later, like the hag, will commandeer that shell and will use that shell to operate within the astral plane. If that doesn't happen and it's a clean crossover and that shell disintegrates, what we're looking at is something else, which is a human wraith. The personality of the individual has been warped into a state of suffering and pain. If they were very angry and bitter in life, if they were suicidal and took their own life, murdered or felt they were wronged greatly, those are likely, not guaranteed, but likely to be pretty quick transitions into what I call wraithhood. 
Does that help explain a little bit of what a wraith is? Yeah, let me let me ask about the logistics of this. Sorry, Kara, did you have a question? No, go go ahead. You ask yours. Um, the logistics of this, in order for me, to, okay. So we have our bodies, we have our souls. Mm -hmm. So when somebody dies, and we're going to use the term soul loosely, their body, the husk is gone. We now have the soul. Mm -hmm. The soul decides to stay on the earth or not, or for whatever reasons. At that point, they shed another husk and go on to heaven. That husk is then potentially used in the astral plane. Is that? The husk only becomes the, the husk. husk. <laughs> yeah, the second the husk second is husk. only the second husk once the attached soul to that ghost body leaves it. Right. So to go on to the next level of its existence and development, it has to shed that ghost body. Just okay. the same as the physical body, you can't take that into the spiritual realm. So that ghost body, yes. once the person leaves it, it would basically be cast aside like any other body. It's but, just energy. Right. But instead, something latches onto it and uses it before that happens. That is one application. Yes. The other being, they do not let go of that ghost body. At which point they become a wraith. They can. They okay. certainly can. <laughs> not always. Well, right. Yeah. Okay. But okay. they can. You also yeah. you also mentioned parasitic entities, which reading, it sounds like that's sort of separate from wraiths, right? Yes. Or they're more of... Like a parasitic entity is not necessarily a wraith. They're bottom feeders, the way I like to classify it, because they... they they both inhabit the astral realm, so the, the lower levels of what we'll call the various spiritual realms. They are bottom feeders. They're parasitic entities. They're bottom feeders. Wraiths become more of predatory feeders. Mm. Opportunist. Okay. I see. Um, so I'm a huge horror movie fan. Um, Andrea referenced that maybe you are too. Um, yes. <laughs> a lot of my my exposure to this stuff so horror movies in general here recently have started to go uh international and i'm i really like that because here in the west you know most of our horror movies were based off of christianity or or at least most of the the widespread ones of course there's rosemary's baby the omen etc and now we're starting to see sort of international um or or broader views of that and my biggest first experience with any of this sort of rate them was um insidious um did you feel that 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 was well represented yes actually um i really loved the way that they approached the movies like for example Insidious, and I don't know if you're familiar with Hereditary. I am. Hereditary was beautifully put together. Whoever directed or actually did the writing of the script for that movie, they did their occult research mm. and they did a really good job. As far as Payman, you know, Lord Payman being uh, this elaborate demon, no, uh, Payman's actually more of a jinn or genie of. Middle Eastern lore and is one of the entities in the Ars Goetia, uh, you know, tale of King Solomon and et cetera. That's kind of where it just went straight Hollywood, but the actual process of training somebody within a magical cult to have a host personality taken over by a living entity inside of that body, it was genius because that has been done in levels and it's a very, very dark process. And I appreciated how they put that much detail into it. Now with Insidious, they followed the three-step process of possession, which is infestation, going into manifestation, then overshadowing, transitioning into transpossession, moving into possession slash perfect possession. Ed and Lorraine Warren talked about the three steps of how possession occurs. That is what Insidious follows with the whole boy getting lost in the planes and, you know, those different aspects of how the body gets taken over. They did a really good job with that. 
Yeah, so this prompts the question, you know, and I, I always think about this with people with mixed belief systems, you know. Um, my my new thing that I've come up with, like when people ask me like, oh, do you believe what I'm talking about? Or or do you believe the people that you interview on the show? My, my answer now is that I'm not even entirely sure that I believe that I exist. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, I mean, I can't really get behind anybody's <coughs> belief system. But um, when you have a mixed belief system, like, do you, do you believe Ed and Lorraine Warren were knowledgeable and doing the right thing? Or do you view them as, as, you know, Christian Catholics and, and totally mistaken on what they were doing? That's a very good question. I believe they were good at research and documentation. And they did a lot that was huge for the paranormal community, especially in the Western regards in that sense. If you want to go Eastern, that's an entirely different story. So in that understanding, very good. Their actual approaches, I would have done way different, especially their little cabinet of curiosities, the basement that they had filled with all of these uh, haunted items and various different objects that they gathered over the years. Very stupid, very, very stupid. I would have at least had energetic locks and binds, would have stripped them of their charge and would have made it actually safe. What they did was create a very interesting nightmare of sorts um, on the spiritual planes and as far as a giant living totem of darkness. Pretty cool if you're into that. But for me, I see that more of a risk, especially with them not having a serious amount of uh, training and skill. Now, Lorraine was a very gifted psychic, and I believe that it was her approach with the energy working that led to more of an effect with their resolution of cases than the actual religious provocation and following of that channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking when I saw the room with all the stuff in it, I'm just all, uh, you know, this has got some major end of Ghostbusters 2 vibes. Maybe we shouldn't mm -hmm. have all these baddie things in the same place, you know? Um, you know, so, oh, okay. go ahead, Kara. Well, you, we were talking about wraiths. Um, you said they were more predatory. That uh, So just like for our, our audience, what are wraiths like? Like what's what do wraiths do in the world? What's the distinction between them and a regular ghost, sort of? A ghost is going to seek out communication. They're going to want to try to understand what is happening to them. They're going to want to settle back into the physical world in some way. And in some instances, they may intentionally or unintentionally create attachments and feed upon the environment or people in particular ways but that does not make them predatory. And there are ghosts who might behave in the way that a wraith does, but the key distinction here is that a wraith no longer has any concept of the former personality of that living person. They literally become the suffering and they um, almost in a reproductive way of how cells will split and make a new one, they're constantly playing out that death loop or those sufferings that they endured back on to the collective consciousness of humanity. And that is how they are feeding by reproducing that feeling and growing. And they actually start to evolve in a downward spiral because evolution is not just in the sense of uh, going up, it's also going down. So things can devolve, but it's still an evolution. A really good example would be Different classifications of wraiths. So we have um, a draugr, which would be a almost zombie-like. So it's a spirit that has held on to the chi in the physical body and has been able to pull energy into that physical body and then work that physical body. It's not a zombie in the classic sense. And these are quite rare uh, in ancient Celtic uh mythology they would talk about these and i believe the term actually originated from the celts which was draugr just d-r-a-u-g-r jason Voorhees would be a very good example of a draugr if we're going to take this to hollywood and jason Voorhees would also be a very good example of a water wraith 
So we would come, we would take this in combination as he is a revenant draugr. So revenant being a very particular class as well, but there's hybrids of classes. So Jason Voorhees would be a revenant draugr, essentially like a Wraith the zombie combination. He's retained the bodily chi and he sustains it through energy gathered from taking lives with heightened power tied to specific solstice and lunar cycles of planetary alignment, which were tied to his death state. That's how he's gaining that power. His energies are peaking within a, a certain uh, aspect of uh, planetary alignment. Think of how certain so it's vibrations- like things showing up on Halloween. It's like things following, um, you know, w when things show up at specific dates, specific times, or when specific um, energy, it, would this also include like, uh, oh, three people enter this room at the same time? Right, that might be the threshold of energy needed. And it might be an established baseline for an entity. However, if one person had the same amount of energy, that could also do the same exact thing. Think about uh, if you were I see. going through a drive-thru and it needs a, a weight sensor to register there's a car there. Theoretically, you don't need a car. You just need enough people to weigh that amount, right? Right. Kind of the same thing. And with Jason Voorhees, the element of him not just being a draugr, but also being a water wraith and a revenant comes from him feeling he was wronged, how he drowned in Camp Crystal Lake. That's also his anchor point. You notice he always returns to Camp Crystal Lake. He's kind of bound within that construct. That's, that's where he's, he's stuck. The limit of his energy can only take him so far without losing it. Mm -hmm. On top of that, the element of water, which, which he died in, the, these are what are all culminate together to make him a water wraith revenant draugr. Okay, I love this because I'm very into like vampire fiction and folklore. It sounds like in a way you're saying that's totally possible. Like, because a lot of cultures have vampire myths that are really just, I mean, for example, Romanian, they have, you know, their idea of the Moroi and the street boy and the Moroi is basically just what you're talking about a spirit that goes out and feeds on people and it's right is just a living person who does that essentially too exactly so you have different classifications and that's the thing that a lot of people will get tripped out on is okay you, there's a ghost here well what kind of ghost is this a traditional ghost is it um an, an echo imprinted residual energy that is mimicking a ghost is this a wraith? Is this a demonic entity? Is this a parasitic entity? That's where you get specialists like me who have put in the time and diligence and research and understanding and learning to be able to differentiate. Otherwise, you're going to just go off the concept of uh, is it good or bad, which, I mean, come on. Those are convoluted terms on their own. Right. So when you're trying to um, figure this stuff out, a lot of it has to do with um, logistics um, and, and motive. So the motive of basically the equivalent of, of a human or a soul would be to um, get somewhere. So a lot of the time the ghost wants to either be back to being human or move on or it's confused somewhere in there and the motive is not necessarily evil although it might come across as dangerous and it might come across as scary the motive is not evil yes perfect example actually i had a client a couple years ago who started to get really sick after her grandmother had passed she loved her grandmother very dearly. Her grandmother was a wonderful human when she was alive. Her grandmother did not become a wraith. Her grandmother was still a ghost. Her grandmother had no comprehension or understanding of how to retain her energies. The only thing that was natural was to connect to the love for the granddaughter. That made her sick. She was feeding off of her life force. She wanted to communicate with her granddaughter. And every time her granddaughter would get upset, she would draw more energy, not intentionally, 
but so that she could cause phenomena to happen. Um, one of the things that happened was uh, she had a, a quilt that her grandmother had made her that was in a chest of drawers underneath her bed. And she would come home after a hard work day. And sometimes she had a habit of just taking a moment to cry, which is totally fine. However, grandma wanted to comfort her. So grandma on those days would have the blanket appear from the chest of drawers and be on the bed when she got home. Grandma's attached. Grandma knows when they get back to the house, this is going to be a routine that she's going to, she's probably going to cry today. I'm going to try to comfort her. I'm going to send her the side of I'm with you, not realizing that she's actually harming her granddaughter. I separated the attachment. I gave them closure both on each other's end and I crossed grandmother over. She's been fine ever since, but yet she did experience what we would call ghost sickness, even though the grandmother was not intentionally preying on her. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, as far as as far as getting rid of them, this prompts my question. Um, again, this has to do with like mixed belief systems. Mixed has an implication of of lost, uh, but uh, collective belief systems. Um, and I love the fact that you're a movie fan because I can use these things that have made me think. A lot of my thoughts come from watching a movie, and I go, uh, you know, is this? So in Constantine, he's like fighting demons and there, there's one scene where he's like fighting a demon or something and he has to go through his keychain and find the right um, icon, the right, the right symbol. Like he has a cross on it and he, has a, and he has a pentagram on it and he has some Jewish symbol on it and, and so on and so forth. And he has to find the right one, you know, and when when we're dealing with these things you know are we how do you view it because each religion looks at it like a pantheon they have their pantheon um in catholicism it's god and satan i i mean god and saints in christianity it's just god or the trinity um do you view all these pantheons as being things or is this just sort of a like a collective of space aliens to you, like different races, or I'm not asking this well, maybe you have- It's okay, I, I have an understanding of what you are kind of driving at. Yeah. For me, I look at it as vibrations and client relations. With clients, I'm going to focus on what is most comfortable for them. It's why I got good in varying different practices. If somebody is Christian and they don't want me to go Theravada Buddhist on the situation, they don't want me to use Wiccan practices. They don't want me to be Taoist or you know whatever term you want to relate there. They don't want me to do these because these practices are not comfortable or familiar to them. I will dance in the box of Christianity all day long if it resolves their situation. And at the same time, it doesn't really matter what I'm playing to with the client to appease them because I'm still doing what I want to do anyway. They're just seeing the front page. I'm telling them it's this book, but they don't know what's underneath the cover. They don't need to because they think it's this book. What I will actually do is I'll be using my energy, which I have cultivated and strengthened through practices of Qigong and Gong Fu, yoga, various different pranayams, bridging from meditation practices, chanting mantra, etc. This collective energy that I've built up across different traditions, which has strengthened my energetic body, I will simply use my energy and funnel it through, even if it is a Christian prayer, I can still strengthen it with my own energy and put the vibration that I want to it. It doesn't matter what the words I'm saying are. Now, in some instances, there might be an entity that is more affected by certain vibrations. For example, I suppose with enough air, you could put out a big fire. Wouldn't it be a little bit easier if you dumped a bunch of water on it? And that's kind of how I approach it. What's going to be the simplest approach here? If I know that I could just use a specific set of mantras, which have an encoded resonance of vibration in them, which are going to affect this particular entity in a certain way, I want to do that. 
However, if this person is very adamant about using Catholic prayers, we're going to do those Catholic prayers, but I'm going to use the bij or the seed syllables and enunciate them a little bit more in that Catholic prayer, which are going to align with some of these Buddhist mantras that I've learned. They don't know that I'm deceiving them, but it's for their own benefit. And ultimately, I'm not harming them. I'm helping them. So it doesn't matter if they understand or know what I'm doing or not. I know what I'm doing. Well, then let me ask you this. And I know it's getting off topic, but, you know, I follow the interesting stuff. Um, is, is there a singular? Is there a devil? That's a funny question. I, for the longest time, thought there must have been some sort of collective evil, if you will. I've come to find out over the years that there are what we would call devils, mm-hmm. um, which would be more akin, depending on how weird you want to get, with a very specific set of different races of what we would call extraterrestrial beings that are of an incredible malevolent order. And there are variations of this uh, on the spiritual planes and the physical as well. It is all relative in term because to them, you really think they see themselves as eagle or do you think they just see themselves as gathering resource? Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to get at is we'll, t- we'll take an all powerful God off the table uh, okay. because that's, by definition, beyond our comprehension, I would assume. <laughs> but is there a pantheon and an order to these things? Like, is I'm I'm always curious when 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 we talk about other worlds and stuff like that. I'm always curious as to a culture, you know, if a culture actually exists there, you know. So, like, is there an order? Is there leadership, or is it solely just based on on power and and energy? I would say that honestly depends on who you're asking. In my understanding, which I've learned from so many different sources, and the best that I could make of it was that there is the collective conscious, the collective unconscious, the conscious and the unconscious. And taking those into formation of circles and linking them together you have different points of existence. I don't know if that helps to elaborate or not. Yeah, no, but I mean, <laughs> but not knowing is also an acceptable answer. So, I mean, you know. I don't I, know. There are a lot I, of things that yeah. we just don't know and won't know. I, I think just what he's asking is like, when you're talking about planes that are not, you know, the physical plane, do, you know, entities that live there have their own hierarchies do they have their oh own yes oh most definitely okay. yes <laughs> yeah like, that is a thing yeah and so yeah. like i'm always curious especially when when there's mixed belief systems you know um we have angels it's like you were saying there there are demons and what demons are the way you define them was not necessarily good or evil now it's funny that you mentioned angels so I would say, yes, I believe in angels, not in the sense of how we religiously talk about them, but in the understanding and discussion that people in a Christian faith would have for an angel would be one type of celestial being of a higher vibration. That doesn't mean they are the only type of celestial being that is in a higher vibration whose sole focus is the greater good helping um, trying to evolve other societies and classifications of entities. Same with the demons. They're packs, races, variations. They're kind of just in different levels. Some are higher vibration, some are lower vibration. And I think that if we look at, uh, for example, different species of animals around the world, You could say that frogs are frogs. Well, yes, that is true. Frogs are frogs. However, there's different frogs that live in the Mediterranean than live in North America. There's different frogs that live on land than live on water. 
and in some places where you'll find frogs that live on land and frogs that live on water and other places they might have that too but they're going to be completely different species it's the same with the spirit world it's a it's a giant petri dish so it's like kingdom phylum class species exactly you know, moving now, now you're understanding the wraith classifications and etc all right, so moving back to rates, I'm assuming that with ghosts, um, when you're helping move uh, the ghost on, like in the case of grandma, um, that it's it's mostly through communication through your your energy. But when it comes to a wraith, um, it's a little less polite, I assume. Yeah, I don't really give them the option. I don't tell them what's going on. I will kind of just use my energy hands, my chi hands, if you will, and I'll just kind of lasso them or grab them and send them up. And where they go, they go. I don't know where they go. Couldn't honestly tell you. I know that they leave this plane. I know they no longer have the, abil uh, the ability to produce localized phenomena and the people that are affected are no longer affected and they're gone. I don't know where they go though. Couldn't honestly tell you. So somebody on a higher plane is basically saying, God dang it, somebody put another wraith in our closet? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I left the uh, the higher up, so uh, that. that's above my uh, pay right. scale. <laughs> They're basically on the third level up. You know, wraiths are considered like the roaches. They're just all, man, how did these keep getting in? You know, apparently it's Sadu. <laughs> apparently it's Sadu. Yeah, he, keeps he just <laughs> dropped another bat shop last night. Right. <laughs> Um, oh, in, sorry. Go ahead, Kara. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're talking about uh, predatory things. I'm wondering just, are there predatory entities that are not wraiths in the sense that, you know, they haven't gone mad. They're just ghosts, but like, they're not very nice people and they choose to, you know, spend their afterlife feeding on people. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I had a very interesting case I worked with a young gentleman who had been told about how wicked one of his great uncles was. And this great uncle had molested quite a few uh, family members um, within that family. And he passed away and he never paid for his crimes. He was never caught, but the family was very well aware and this was passed down. Well, this individual, came to me because he had a daughter who was talking about being touched at night. And the daughter was too young to really understand concepts of sex and inappropriate touch in a sense. Uh, it was something that wasn't really discussed. She was homeschooled. And there was really no understanding for the parents of where this was coming from. Mm -hmm. And she would describe how she was touched and the person that was touching her. And in description, she was describing the great uncle. And this really terrified the family. So the father comes to me and he's saying, yeah, you know, Saduda, I, I don't know what's going on here. And at first I'm kind of thinking this could possibly be uh, a type of incubi or succubi spirit uh, they're the same thing they're they're androgynous they'll kind of change their approach for their victim um anyways they will distinctly find a difference in wraith and ghost by the intention for the most part however in this case there was a lot of directful and willful approach and action it was specifically targeting the young daughter. It wasn't interested in the wife at all. So it was very specific in its approach. It was gratifying itself through a very specific means of feeding. And it was doing things that it had done in life. And this was not related at all with how it passed as far as the spirit. And it wasn't related in any way with okay, I'm just going to, to start molesting um, other, other children because that was what I did in life. No, it was going from the approach of this is a family member. I did this to family members. I'm going to continue doing this to family members. Nobody's going to stop me. When I came in and I approached the spirit, usually a wraith will just kind of go for the attack. 
And it's kind of cute sometimes because, you know, various different reasons. Anyways, this thing tried to kind of communicate me. It was like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, you know why I'm here, because what you're doing is very inappropriate. It's not okay. You're causing damage and you need to leave. And it's a central response was, no, I don't want to leave. So I was having an intelligent conversation with this thing. It was not a wraith. It wasn't just trying to reflect suffering onto me. I ended up just crossing it over. Now, a lesser evolved version of me, which in the past I've done this, but I don't do this anymore. And I didn't do this in this situation would have been to bind it to an object and put that object in a very uncomfortable place for that spirit where it would remain for however many decades or hundreds of years or until it was found or whatever happened to it. And I would have just kind of let it suffer. Um, I didn't really see any point in doing that. He was already dead. Uh, the best thing that could have done be done as far as approach would have been just sending it on to the next lesson and letting, uh, you know, quote unquote karma, if you will, just kind of handle it from there in whatever way that transpired. And what about with the terrifying? Yeah. No yes. <laughs> with the with the wraith, do you do they fight back? Are they dangerous? Yes, incredibly dangerous. In fact, if you are on a lower scale of understanding and cultivation of energy and practices, you could very easily be killed by a wraith. Um, demonic entities aren't the only type of entities that can cause freak accidents, um, weird things and illnesses that just kind of happen. This happens to a lot of paranormal investigators. It's something that's not talked about a lot. You have a lot of famous paranormal investigators. Actually, Ed Warren, it was pretty well-known fact that Ed Warren met a demise pretty early considering for all the work he did in direct relation to the spirits that he had just been working with on a regular basis and getting rid of. This happens all the time. Now, on my level of approach, I am very comfortable with the protection that I have, both energetically and inherited through the lineages uh, that I've studied under. I have a bit of a, a protective coating, I guess you could say. I also have talismans and amulets that I'll wear. And I'm very aware with what I'm doing and know where I kind of have a little bit of leeway and where I need to be very firm in my approach. And that's why I said sometimes it's kind of cute because I'll see a wraith that I know cannot penetrate or harm my defenses in any way. And it's kind of like a uh, cat just pawing at the door. And I'm like, huh, <laughs> funny. And then I'll just deal with it. And other times I'll see something that could be a potential threat. I'll be like, okay, we're just going to nip this in the butt right now and not even take chances. That's funny that you say that because I happened to lock my cat in here while we were doing this. And I've been terrified <laughs> that uh, he'll be scratching at the door at any moment. Um, so let's see, where, where was I at with my thought here? Well, first of all, here's a question that I like to ask everybody. And it seems like you're a great candidate for this. What's the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to you? Hmm. Involved with this stuff. Don't tell me skydiving. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about my first case, but it didn't matter what it was. That would have been the most terrifying in, in that aspect. But over the years, one of the most terrifying I guess the question is, what will terrify us the most? <laughs> I had um oh that's a that's that's a different question. Okay. Oh, so okay. yeah. Right. Um <laughs> I'll answer both of those actually. Good, good, good. Probably the most terrifying for both of you and your your listeners would be the time I was working a case where we had uh you familiar with the term like the veil, like the spirit veil? Yeah, a little bit, but we had a bit of a tear in a veil at this location. Went there to go and kind of take care of it. And in the process of me doing my work, this was witnessed by two students I had with me that I was teaching in the field. I also had one of my masters on video chat just kind of overseeing me. I was not green, but 
uh, it was about intermediate. I wasn't where I was now. Mm-hmm. Still needed a little bit of observance in certain cases. I was levitated into the air about a good five feet. My feet were dangling down. There was an invisible force. You could see the indentations in my shirt. Hands were grabbed onto me around my torso. I was having a hard time breathing. Levitated in the air and then swung and thrown across the room. Uh, almost broke a couple of ribs. Definitely had some bruising pretty heavily for a couple of weeks almost afterwards. I was just slammed into this wall and kind of slumped down on the ground. And it was kind of funny in the sense that, um, you know, afterwards I realized it was way more exaggerated than it needed to be in my response. I, I, I should have just continued doing what I was doing and not acknowledged the phenomena. But I just very like wretchingly yelled out, get to safety, get out of the room. Right, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> Which that- adds to the adds assume that adds to the energy to the and that's one reason why you don't do that most definitely <clears throat> swallowed water wrong uh, excuse oh, that's me right. no worry so um once i had kind of learned not to do things like that uh that teacher who i had actually told me one of the worst things you can do is acknowledge the phenomena hmm. and i would see so much cool, interesting, weird, bizarre, and scary phenomena in a lot of cases. And his common answer every time I'd be like, did you see that? Or, oh my God, or whoa, he would say, don't acknowledge it. Don't acknowledge it. And I was like, okay, are you just this jaded at this point? No, he was actually trying to teach me something very important, which has gone on to serve me very well over the years. Scariest experience I personally ever had myself. I was doing a remote working with this woman that was located in Russia and had regular video chat sessions with her. She sent me videos that I still have to this day. I have a Google drive folder that has hundreds of cases and it has all this phenomena documented videos, pictures, etc., messages, all of that. She sent me a video of shadows coming out of the corners and growing in the middle of the day sun coming through the window in her room and shadows taking over there was i guess you could call it a type of like ectoplasm kind of phenomena i didn't quite identify it as blood because it looked more like oil to me and it was black and kind of sheen had a sheen to it mm-hmm. would drip from the walls specifically the outlets it would like pour out of the outlets and that got my interest quite a bit and as i was helping her this was a very high level demonic entity when i take cases like that now which i'm finally like qualified to work on cases like that just in the past few years those are the most dangerous cases that i will ever take on And I had experienced what I call demonic venom. So think of an attachment point connecting to you and draining you, right? Well, it works both ways. They can attach to you and they can also inject things into you. I had one of the worst nightmares that I had ever experienced in my life. And this is putting it very, very lightly. You cannot possibly begin to understand what it was like in experience. I was, I was trapped in a dreamlike state and I was completely filled with the most charged fear and terror that I'd ever experienced. And I couldn't get out of the experience and it kept looping over and over and over and over. And I finally was able to break it because my master at the time had kind of gotten what you would say would be like an energetic email or like a ping. Uh, just could kind of feel something wasn't right. And I could feel, not see, but feel a light type of sensation entering my body. And when I broke out of it, I was in a sweat and I was crying hysterically and kind of rocking in the fetal position on the ground. And my master called me a couple minutes after that. And he said, are you okay now? And I was like, "What, what the hell just happened to me? 
And he explained, I saw and felt where you were. I came there and I brought you out. You were attached to by the same entity that you were working to get rid of from that female in Russia. And it found your mark and it tried to take your card. Hmm. Yeah, that is terrifying. Stuff's very real. Yeah. So at this point in your in your learning, um, you you've alluded to times with your master and having masters help. At this point in your learning, is there are there cases you just wouldn't take on your own? Yes, actually. Um, one is due to trauma because of a very very bad experience I had that uh, working one case, I got affected so negatively. I was a little bit cocky because at that point I felt like I was better along than I was. And anytime I encounter a Jin or genie of Middle Eastern origin, I will either pass that case off to um, a very particular master that I studied under or I will ask him to closely help me with that. Thankfully, I have only had two cases of Jin since that one traumatic experience. That traumatic experience was so bad that uh, I wound up in a mental hospital for several months and experienced like a fugue-like state of am episodic amnesia and was visited once by a very, very close friend. And when I got out, I, you know, I got all my memory back except for the memory highlights of what happened during that encounter and being in the mental hospital. And when I had asked the friend why he did not come and visit me, he said he did. And he said, I just couldn't see you like that. And I don't remember this, but this isn't the individual that would lie. So he told me that I was in the ward rubbing my own feces on the wall and like giggling and laughing to myself. I have no recollection of that. He has no reason to lie about that. That was how traumatic that case was. It, it, that's how greatly I was affected by that one specific case. Um, I hear Jin and, and Jeannie brought up um, and here in the West, a lot of the time, thanks to Disney and, and Aladdin, we, we think of that stuff as being different, but um, is it, is it Jin a wraith? No, a jinn, the closest relation that I would give to a jinn would be a type of fae or fairy, if you will. Mm. They're very much so related to the fairy. I would almost say they're like cousins. Um, and generally, they, uh, you know, with Kara, how she was saying, like, you know, the classifications and, you know, hierarchies and things like that, they are very hierarchical. They have, they have a king. Um, they have, uh, so you have green jinn, which are like juveniles. They're like babies. They become blue jinn when they reach around a couple hundred years old. They live to be a couple thousand, sometimes maybe a few thousand years old. They are almost physical, but not physical. Um, many understandings we have about fairies kind of, give that same notion they inhabit the realm right next to ours closest to ours and kind of bridges over that kind of thing they have various different clans and tribes they have children they have jobs they marry um, they have cultural customs there's a lot of things that humanity actually shares with jinn it's very interesting I want to ask in terms of this hierarchy, how common are all these different things? Usually when we talk to like paranormal people, they basically have two things in their hierarchy, right? They're, they talk about ghosts and demons and that's about it. And usually what we get told is, you know, ghosts actually exceedingly common in the world, demons ex extremely rare. When you add in, you know, wraiths, your jinns, your fairies, uh, how common would you say all, all these things? Yeah. Is there one for each of us? I would say <laughs> ghosts are the most common. And whether you're aware of it or not, in your day-to-day -day existence going out and about the world, 
you'll probably pass by or have some sort of interaction with one and not realize it. And a lot of them don't have enough of a foothold in our dimension to really gain enough energy to have communication. You could walk right by one and not realize it. It's almost just like a faintness. Wraiths tend to be probably the second most common along with Fae. I would definitely say Fae are a little more shy in some regards, but if you spend a lot of time in nature, you're likely to have more of an interaction with Fae or different types of elemental beings and et cetera. Really dark places that have a lot of negative energy, have had a lot of death. That's where you're going to tend to find a diverse amount of astral parasites and demonic entities. It just, it just depends on where you are, what's going to be most common. In some settings and scenarios, some things are going to be more common where other things might be rare. Um, perfect example would be in a very, very dark area, you may have a very sparse amount of ghosts because they've learned to avoid that area or the ones that were kind of dominant with, within population have been consumed by other forms of entity like parasites and demonic entities. So like in a normal, per let's just say the average person's life, sounds like you'll, you'll encounter ghosts just on the day to day and not know it. These other Most things, definitely, you know, whether you know it or not. If you live a full life, are you like probably going to encounter a wraith or a fae or something, or are they much less common? You know? Most certainly, but you might not realize what you've you, encountered. You realize, yeah. Oh, that's weird. That's... Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that forever now. As you so go that's... to bed tonight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it prompts a question. So we all have critters living on us and in us. We have, we have um, germs that help us digest. We we have, uh, you know, little critters living in our eyelashes. Um, do we all have entities feeding off us, like that maybe have claimed us to as their territory or? Are we all connected to it on some level? And and this is a, a cleansing that people maybe need to go through on a regular basis as you go through life picking up parasites? I would definitely say that you should be doing good care for your energetic body, your aura, if you will, your meridian lines, your chakras, whatever you want to call it, your energy body. You should have some sort of practice that helps cleanse you because it's not just entity attachments and things that you need to worry about um, that can kind of cloud you up and create a toxic environment there. It's also the projections and emotions that other people put onto you can have the same effect. And I use um, a technique that I put on my blog on my website called the Sideball Salt Bath Cleanse, which is a really simple one that many people can read, check out and do and could be very helpful for them. But you did mention something very interesting in talking about the attachment and is there anything we need to worry about and all that. Perfect explanation. The hag. Sleep paralysis can often be two different things. It can be a waking state occurring when your body is still asleep and you consciously come to awareness and there's that lag of syncing up. I think that's happened to me and it was terrifying. Yeah, I've, There's also I've a different experience that, you know, a different <laughs> way that that happens where it's not just sleep paralysis and where it's actually an entity driven response is when a parasitic entity known as a hag will present itself. It'll find your little energy marker, which is floating around in the astral, connect to it, come to you, start feeding like a crouching on the chest or a holding and pinning down. And when you wake up, it's similar to when a person is bitten by a mosquito. You might not notice that you got bit by a mosquito, but when it pulls away, you sure do start to get itchy and you notice that you got bit by a mosquito. There is a paralytic venom 
we talked about the, you know, venoms being able to go to take and to inject, right? So the same venom concept is used by a hag where they inject this paralytic venom into your astral body, which will then kind of override your physical, keep your vibrations in that lower alignment so they can feed off of your life force. And then when they pull away, it's the snapping of that little tendril is the recognition of the body, something's not right, and you'll wake up. And a lot of people will describe seeing an old woman sitting on their chest or feeling a dark presence in the room, things of that nature. If you have a feeling of terror and fear, feel a presence or have this constricting motion on top of your body. And it's not just, I'm having a hard time breathing, I'm scared, I'm trying to get my body to wake up. If it's the latter of that, that is uh, sleep paralysis induced by an astral parasite. And they will often come back to feed again because once they've fed, they've got your marker, your energy marker, your unique little vibration. They know it. The best course of action to eliminate this from happening to you again and from other astral parasites finding your little marker because they tell their friends, hey, this is a good meal. You know, come come check it out next time. All you can eat buffet. I well, assume the answer is to never sleep again. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if that would work well for you. Right. But raising your vibration out of alignment with those lower vibrations, having spiritual practices, if you will, and whether that just be doing yoga or having more of a conscious interaction with people every day, doing inventory lifting your mental well-being, lifting your physical energy levels, uh, strengthening the emotional body, anything that is necessarily going to be a benefit to your overall health, these are going to kind of affect your energetic, your energetic vibration. These are going to raise your vibrations. And if our vibrations are raised to a certain threshold, certain things can't come up and meet that. We have to be in alignment with their vibrations. Otherwise they have no effect on us. This is why you'll have some people that will say, oh, you know, I don't believe in, <clears throat> I don't believe in ghosts or demons or anything like that. And they'll go into a situation where many people are being affected quite a bit. And they're like, okay, well, this person doesn't really have any practices. They're not a guru. They just don't believe in this stuff. And yeah, there is an element of, even if you don't believe in something, it can definitely happen to you. Had that with clients before, but there is a certain amount of having to have that rapport or alignment with that entity. And, you know, and then there are, there's always like a dual manifold for, uh, you know, certain rules, but yeah, in the uh, in the screw tape letters, uh, screw tape and wormwood were talking about how it's easier to corrupt a Christian than a non-believer, because they're already halfway there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you use the term vibration a lot: lower vibration, higher vibration, and in DC Comics, the Flash, that's how he moves from universe to universe is by vibrating at the different uh, frequencies. But um, I see that you're a musician there. And are these, is this like a metaphor to better understand it? Or is it literally like an A440 as opposed to an octave up of an A880? It is literally like that. Okay. For example, the reason why mantras have so much power in Theravada Buddhism and, and other practices of, of Buddhism like Bonpo and et cetera, there's a, a fundamental science that was understood about the power of vibration. I could make a noise. And if I have a glass of water in front of me, I'm not touching it physically, but that sound can cause a reverberation and make the water move. This concept of not having a physical body and being an entity that is only affected on a vibrational level means that there are certain approaches we can take and certain ones that won't work. If you had a cross and you threw a cross in a spot, let's say, let's say there's a spot in the room where there is um, any kind of entity, doesn't really matter. But let's say it's harboring space right there. 
it's not actually physically here in this dimension. This is a quasi-physical being. Partially here, partially not. Throw that cross over there. The cross is just going to go right through it. I mean, nothing's going to happen. Now, if that charge of energy and consecration of vibration, specifically higher vibrations, were instilled into that organic material, it gives it a weight we not, not we maybe can't see, but we can feel and experience. That feeling and experience of that vibration crossing through that space where that entity may be will disrupt its alignment in that space right? and push it, dislodge it from. Because obviously vibrations can be changed or trimmed, you know, to, exactly. to stick with the music reference, sorry to the audience, uh, like a bandpass cabinet for a bass player. Basically, it's going to trim off the high end and fire the low end out of the tube. Uh, you know, that vibration has been changed, even though the note is staying the same. It's yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, we've gone over time here. Uh, how, how does somebody who needs your help, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way would be to go to my website, which would be www.thesadhuda.com. And that's T-H-E-S-A-D-H-U-D-A-H.com. All right. And, uh, and of course you welcome these things. I do. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, uh, you've been listening to Sadhu Da here on Radio Wasteland as we've been talking slightly about race, but, uh, definitely got off track and I appreciate that. Um, if you want to find out more about him, go to T H E S A D H U D A H.com. The Sadhu Da com and uh, check them out and of course you can check them out at radiowasteland.us and i appreciate you coming on the show thanks for having me it's been a pleasure 